Welcome back, everyone, to the second hour of Technology Showcase. This second hour, we're joined by motivational speaker and author, Mr. Derek Brown, where he will share with us his story, motivations, and details of his latest offerings, Lock That Job, 3FE, and more. Mr. Brown, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I uh, know you have a lot to offer and a lot to talk about. Um, very excited to have you here with us today. Uh, you've written a lot of fantastic books, and some of which I've read. And uh, um, I'm really, I'm really excited to have you here today. Well, I'm certainly glad to be here, Dave. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So, thank you. So, so let's get right to the media things. There. One of your most uh, successful uh, 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 books that you've put together has been the, crit the Critical Success, The Two Rules of Three. What do you define uh, critical success? Critical success is the planned achievement of something urgent and essential, utilizing skillful planning and judgment for the express purpose of attaining prosperity. So when you think about what critical success is, given that definition, it means that you have to take a thinking person's approach in order to realize exactly what it is you want to do in life in order to be considered successful. It's not the same for any one person or any group of people. It's something different each time you launch out for the task. But if you follow the methodology that I've established, you can truly get to the finish line and achieve just that thing, which is, critical success for you personally? What is it you're passionate about? What is, it the, what is the thing you want to do most in life that will give you the greatest amount of personal satisfaction and happiness? If you do that with a critical thinking mindset and you approach it from the appropriate perspective, then you can achieve it. There's nothing you can't do if you believe it positively. But, of course, you have to be measured in your approach. And that's what critical success is. That's how I define it, and that's how I lay out the approach. Well, that's a great approach, Derek. Thanks for that and clarifying that. Uh, the second part of that title is the two rules of three. And can you tell us about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. The two rules of three, the first rule is 3FE. And as I mentioned, I've developed my own methodology for problem solving. And that's find, focus, establish the fundamentals, and execute. It's the poor man's essential tool for utilizing critical thinking skills. So you break it down, you find. In your find phase of the methodology, you're looking at everything out there that, that's pertinent to whatever it is you're trying to solve. So we know that data represents meaning. It just doesn't have any real relational value until you start to coalesce all of that data together. So that's your find phase. You start to just write down what's important about the problem. Just write it all down. Just gather as much data as you can. The next phase of 3FE is focus. So now you're starting to look at those details. This is when the data starts to add meaning, relations, relational values, and that's when it becomes information. That's transformative. It goes from data to information in the focusing phase. You went from find, then you decided to go to focus because you were ready, and it becomes information. And once you start to lay all this information out, you start to see a path forward, a logical means of progression. This is you establishing the fundamental plan. That's the third F, find, focus, establish the fundamentals. 
So once that information has become relative and you see a way through this problem that before was intractable, you broke it up. You started to see things that were connected. Then you said, okay, if I do one, two, three, four, and five, that I can readily resolve this problem, you've established a fundamental plan. And the last part of that 3FD is execute. So once you realize that you have to do one, two, three, four, and five, what's left? Execution. And execution is relative as well. Perhaps it's just a launch out activity on Monday. I'm going to do those five things. Or maybe you have to be a bit more detailed in your execution of the plan. So maybe there are stages to the execution of the plan. Maybe you do uh, an overlapping iterative approach, or maybe you just launch out and do the whole thing in one day on Monday because your plan is just that detailed. That's the first rule of three, utilizing 3FE. The second rule of three is 3PAP, the three principles of prosperity. So I designed that rule over time, and um, you know, Dave, I've got a lot of stuff in life, so um, what I really realized is that in America, in particular, if you're living here, there are three things from a critical success standpoint that you can attempt to do. And you can do that by utilizing the first rule. You can invest in real estate. And by this, I mean outside of your home because your home is where you live. We know we've been living for decades thinking of our home as an investment potential or even an ATM or something we use to fund in a vacation. This is all uh, consumer-driven society's backwards way of thinking. You can't do this. So you need to try and launch out, if you possibly can, and put some money aside to invest in some real estate. It is one of the things that most certainly will be appreciative in America, even though we've been going through a four-, five-, six-year recessionary gap. I would say six years, at least for real estate, because the the, the downfall actually happened before the election. But, um, yeah, that's the first rule in uh, pre-pop, the three principles of prosperity. Second, you have to invest in the capital markets. That's the second part of pre-pop. Now, a lot of folks look at the stock market and they're terrified. They're scared. They see stocks go up and down. They hear people talk about options. They hear things like commodities. Someone says hedge fund or short selling, and then they look at a TV show and see a picture of Bernie Madoff, and then they meet this guy at work that actually invested with Bernie Madoff. He's 65 years old, and he's broke. And in their mind, they're like, the last thing I want to do is invest in the stock market. It's only for rich people. Regular people can't do it. I'm going to put my money in a mattress, and that's what I'm going to do. Well, that's wrong. You can't do that. You shouldn't do that. If you are a working person in America, you need to put your money to work in the capital market. Now, this by no means means you got to go out there and try and become a Jim Cramer, an expert in the stock market. We're not all built for that. You know, we're not all going to take the time to go and invest in a financial course so that we can log directly onto e-trading and start trading stocks. It's just like going to Las Vegas, and that may very well be the quickest way for you to go broke. But what you can do is put your money in a good mutual fund. You can invest in some indexes. You can even, if you're really scared, just... Go get a bunch of bonds. The fact of the matter is you've got to put your money to work in the markets over time because compound interest is one of the most fascinating and accretive things that the human being has created over time in terms of wealth creation. You've got to do it. So with that being said, you've got real estate, you've got the capital markets, you've got to do both. And in my opinion, and I highlight this in the book, if you're an American, you've got to do at least two of the three. 
And those first two are absolutely essential as you grow older and work your way into retirement. you got to own something, and you most certainly have to invest in something. It's absolutely essential. You must do it. So then you've got the third rule. Now, the thing about the third rule is it's not really made for everyone. You can't you can't be an entrepreneur if it's not in your blood. And and I don't mean to sound negative. It's just I think we all know and understand that from a small business perspective, the majority of them fail. They're gonna yeah. operate in the red. And if you don't have the ability to move away from being a technical operator in your own company and eventually a delegator and a leader, then your company over time, small, medium or large will not grow to be successful. But with that being said, if you're in this country, you should give it a shot. It might not be made for you. Might even, it might not even go as far as the business plan, Dave. But, you know, if you're at a point in life and you've saved up some cash, you, you know, you're invested, you've got your mutual funds on the side or your IRA or something, and, you know, you've got your house and, you know, you, don't, you might not own another rental property. Rental property's not necessarily for everybody but you could own some real estate investment instruments, and thereby you're putting your money into those first two free-pop rules. you got your real estate locked down. you got your capital markets locked down. Now it may be time for you to, I don't know, start your your, your, your decorating firm or maybe open that restaurant you've been thinking about, but you also have to think critically about it. Again, I must stress, this third one is not for everybody. Three-pop means... Definitely do two of the three, but don't necessarily do the third. And those are the three rules of three pop. Wow, Derek, um, I knew that you would not disappoint. I'm so glad to have you here with us today. And I, I might have fallen short. Uh, you're so multi-talented. Maybe I should have added investment uh, consultant to that title. I'm sorry, Dave. Could you repeat that? My daughter just ran in here. <laughs> okay. Um, I was I, I was just saying uh, I was just thanking you uh, for for that bit of information and uh, and that I should have added investment banker to that or investment consultant to that title. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, as I stated, that is the story behind the two rules of three. You've got the methodology and the utilization of critical thinking skills. And then you've got three pop, and I condensed all of that into the book. And if you live by it, ideally, you should be prosperous. Well, well, you, you uh, as I said earlier, Derek, you're, you're a man of, of many talents, um, and 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 writing writing books is one of the ways you've given back to society. How and when did you get started writing? Well, that's kind of funny, and we can go back a ways with this. I guess I really first started writing when I was in elementary school, but I was kind of all over the place. So I never really thought about being an author, and I didn't consider it as something that I wanted to passionately pursue. I just, I like to write from time to time, and, you know, I'd kind of burn some hours putting together a story or two. And then in college, I actually wrote a book, and after this experience, one would think that I would, shy away from it, but I finished it. It was about maybe 300 pages. It was on my hard drive, and the hard drive crashed, and I lost the whole thing. So that was a bit distressing, and I said, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, and I left it alone. 
But I guess the bug was in me from inception, and it was never going away. After uh, leaving UGA and starting my job, it came back again, and in the hour, wee hours of the morning, I'd sit down and I'd start writing, and before I knew it, I had another book, and then I had another book, and I wasn't even publishing at this point. The ideas were just coming forth, and they were both fiction-related because, you know, I have a deep and abiding love for sci-fi, fantasy, and all that kind of stuff, but I started to work with a few friends and volunteer, and it was an interesting journey because all of this kind of typifies my socioeconomic outlook, my politics, my ideology, and what I'm passionate about. The, the writing thing involved the volunteer effort after, I guess you might say, I went through my Ayn Rand phase. I, um, I started off life as a born Democrat because that's what I was born into and being a child of the South, uh, black parents, and that's what I held on to. And then I went to school and I read Ayn Rand's book and started listening to Neil Bortz. And I took a right turn and started to see people as moochers and whatnot. And, of course, that was an ideological filter that I just kind of strapped on because the, the writing was good writing and it sounded nice, but it didn't accurately reflect the world we live in. And when I started to volunteer, I had a seminal moment. I was at a school, and I was just talking to these kids about IT and how I was passionate about computers. And one of the kids just got so inspired, and he just said, well, Mr. Brown, how how, how can I start to, you know, get into pooters and stuff like that, like, like that, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just listened to the kid, and, he, you know, he was jumbling up the words and whatnot, but it just it, you know, it was like a thunder strike to the heart. I was, I was just hit hard. He was so he wanted it so bad, but he mm-hmm. couldn't really express himself. And as I looked around, I was talking to some of the teachers. These kids were in an environment where they weren't exposed, so they didn't know. So I come in and I say these things, and they just they, they lit up. They just lit up. And so I started to think about nonfiction at that point and putting together something that would help people at all levels of the socioeconomic ladder, how they could focus their minds and get properly engaged. And that was the genesis of Critical Success, the two rules of three. You know, I started doing a few videos back then, putting out on YouTube, talking about critical thinking, trying to get kids motivated and getting engaged. And as you well know, that just started the whole thing, you know, your motivational speaking, the books, all of that. In fact, I still haven't published my first fiction book because these nonfiction things have kept jumping to the front, you know. Yeah. So that that yeah. was the genesis of the whole writing adventure. Okay, okay. Well, thanks for that. Well, um, speaking of students and, and, and college uh, students, um, you work with a lot of college students, especially with your affiliation with uh, BDPA. Um, what methods do you have for college students in general? Well, the the things that I do with college students all relate around a positive message and a positive example. I really don't do much different from what I do with my associates who work for me every day in information technology. I just make sure that I'm engaging them at the appropriate level with a level of experience and exposure. So, and then also let me add, you know, working through Black Data Processing Associates, BDPA, and engaging them through the Success Alliance program, which I've worked on in partnership to, with Jacqueline Sanders, something that was 
her brainchild, tying my methods to hers. We put these things together and we engage these kids appropriately at their level. It's all about exposure. It's all about positive motivation. It can't do attitude. And giving them the tools necessary in order to achieve what I was mentioning before, critical success. So you're talking to these college students and they're entering an economic environment where things are still tough. And they're thinking, there will be no job for me. There is no opportunity. One of the main things I stress continuously over and over again, and that's and if these kids have got it, then they've got to hold on to it, is never devalue yourself. Make sure you have your skills on display. Rebrand what you bring to the table appropriately and differentiate yourself in such a manner so as to when you walk in front of me as a prospective hiring person, I'll know that you've got exactly what it takes to do the job. And, you know, I've run across a lot of kids who are like, well, I don't, I don't think we're going to make it, you know, can I just work for free for a little while? And, you know, you ask them, well, what things do you do? So right. if you do these, if you program in four different languages, you're a relational database expert, and you, you know, you actually started to build OLAP data cubes on the side for fun because you thought it was interesting? Dude, are yeah. you insane? We pay six figures for that. <laughs> you know, value yeah. yourself appropriately. And then on the opposite side, if they haven't been doing things like that, and perhaps they don't have the necessary skill set, this is when the conversation can become difficult, well, then you've got to talk to that, college, that prospective college person and say, you know, what are you really passionate about? It's all about the critical thinking activity. It's all about the critical questions. You've got to ask them and ask them right so that they yeah. may know, you know, hey, I'm, I think I'm in the wrong place, sitting in the wrong space. You've yeah. got to ask yeah. that. You know, yeah. so it's two-pronged. Get them on the right side and then push them forward so they can value this up appropriately. Or if they're on the wrong side, look, you walk through the wrong door, son. I need you to go right back out, turn left, and go down to the agricultural school or something like that. And we can talk about you being successful in that arena, too. Maybe you've cut off a few years of your plan, but you've got to be doing the right thing for you. And that's mm-hmm. what I think a lot of kids these days don't necessarily realize. And that's a function of the society that we live in. They get themselves you know, caught up in the in, in the wrong space on the wrong base. And then if they can't do that, their foundation is broken and they can't launch out appropriately. And, you know, that's, yeah. I, I endeavor to try to fix that when I engage the child. Yes, I agree. Yeah, we, we've run, we've come across a lot of young people um, uh, of various types, some that have a lot of energy, have their wheels spinning, and, and all you need to do is sit them down and put them on the right track and watch them go. And there, there are others that that have a lot of education but don't have the motivation, the energy, or the desire to take advantage of those skill sets. Uh, a lot of a lot of people come to you, especially through uh, your affiliation with BDPA, the Atlanta BDPA chapter, more specifically. A lot of people come to you for coaching, Derek. What's one of the things that frustrates you about job seekers and and resumes as you see them today? Well, you know, we're going to be real frank. What's frustrating about someone that comes to me for coaching or a desire to get a job is all they have is desire. You know, desire is good. It's, it's, a, it's a, an emotional motivating factor, but it's just one of many. I can't do this for you. You need to do this for yourself. I was talking to someone last weekend, this young woman told me, she said, um, well, Derek, I've come to realize, actually, that 
it's a job to get a job. And if I don't treat it like a job, then I won't get it. And I you know what, that in its simplicity, that is so very profound for today's economic environment. Very appropriate. Exactly. If you're not getting up at 8 o'clock to go to your job, which is to look for a job, just like I'm getting up to go to the building that I work in, then you're not serious, you know? Or if you come to me at some point and say, well, Derek, I've interviewed for 10 different jobs. I walked into a couple of places, and then I went to the I went to get a job fair, and, you know, I still don't have a job. And what time did you get up? And, well, I got up at 12. You know, I was up late. And, you know, like I said, I, I, here's my resume. I look at the resume. It's a, either it's a one-pager of black and white with one but two different types of font, or it's a book. It's 12 pages, and you expect me to look at that thing. All of these are powerful negatives, powerful. And they can be highly frustrating to someone like me who wants to help you. So, you know, let's look at that in summary. You're not working at your job of getting a job. Again, we have to stress, getting a job today is your job until you secure employment. That means you have to treat it appropriately. You've got to be at the crack of dawn. You gotta be going for it. You gotta be posting. You gotta be on LinkedIn. You gotta be branding yourself. You gotta be engaged in it powerfully. It is the thing that you must do. And if you ain't doing it, don't come to me and ask me to do it for you, man. I got a job. <laughs> you know? I got a job and I'm trying to help you and you're not asking for my help. What you really want me to do is to do it for you. I'm not built for that. <laughs> That's not my bag, <laughs> you know. I want to you be your motivator, and I can actually, I can actually fuel you with motivation. I can give you, you know, I can be your your your, your lithium ion battery and your hybrid model on top of your ultimate MCO, you know, maximum power gas. I can do that, Dave. I can, I can give you that. But you know, what you really got to understand is, at some point, you got to get up off of me, right? You got to run yourself. I give you what you need to launch out. You have to drive yourself the rest of the way. You know, if you're not willing to do that, then we've got to come to a meeting of a mind and you've got to step off because right. you're right. not ready. And that is what's frustrating. <laughs> we're, we're speaking with Derek Brown, everyone, motivational speaker, investment consultant, and author <laughs> uh, of some very uh, powerful literature, Locked Edge Job, 3FE, and some more. And, and we're going to talk a bit more about those offerings, um, but but I'll, there's something that you uh, that you mentioned earlier, Derek, uh, about um, individuals getting out there. You've got to get out there and 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 network and see what you like and see what's out there and make yourself visible in this industry. What what are some of the misconceptions people have about the real world? I'm mean, a strong believer of networking, as am I. Uh, what's, what, what's your message? And this is a this is an easy one. This is a this is a softball I'm tossing up here. What's your message to people who shy away from networking? If you don't network, you will not achieve any kind of critical success. It just won't happen for you. You can't do it. You know, networking is absolutely essential to achieving what I call critical success because you're only as good as your network. Build your network and create an opportunity. That's what I've been saying for the last few years. Build your network and create an opportunity. Often enough, I like to say, is not who you know, it's what you know. But you know what the truth is, Dave? It is what? who you know. 
You're right. Because if you know a few people and you're an idiot, if you know a few really good people and you're stone cold dumb, you're going to be successful. And that's unfortunate for those of us that try our best to be smart at what we do because we encounter them all the time, and you know this as well as I do. You're out there in the world, you're working, you're connected, and all of a sudden you're on a project and you're figuring out how is it that idiot got on the project because that person is a spoon. You know, they're not a knife, they're not sharp, they're not, they're not making it happen. You look at that person and you're like, I don't mean to be ugly, but you are dumb as rocks. Mm-hmm. How have you been working in this field for 15 years? It's who you know. It's who you know. So I tell people this. When, when you're networking and you're trying to teach people success, there are a few things that you don't pick up at your recruiting company. You don't pick up at your job fair. They kind of maybe gloss over it a little bit, but you're not getting it in such a manner as to be fully effective. You need to know your elevator speech, and you need to know your anti-elevator speech. You need to be able to describe yourself appropriately. You need to look good. And I say this to folks, and they're like, well, 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 what do you mean are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say you need to conform to some fantastical idea of American beauty. I'm not talking about that crap. I'm talking about you need to be clean cut. You need to make sure your breath is fresh. You need to get the bogeys out of your eyes. And you need to make sure that you're about as sharp as you can possibly be when you walk up into an environment where there are people there that you need to meet. I don't care if they're 50 or there are five. If there are five, then it is your responsibility to know all five of those people because one of those five people can get you a job. Now, maybe they can't. Maybe they can't, but if they can't, at the very least, you may know somebody else that, at the, that the, at the very least, can open a door for you. And that's what you need. You need someone to either open a door for you or put you on the right path. Absolutely. Well, Derek, I'm, I'm glad you tied that back to uh, critical success. Um, I've been I, I've been online at your Two Rules of Three website and been flipping back and forth through a lot of those uh, pages, and um, I, I I got an excerpt out of it, and I like to share if you don't mind. Yes, please. Okay, this this excerpt is from an educational primer for the majority parent, and it reads, and I paraphrase here. As parents, we must all consider the direction we're taking, our level of responsibility, what we want to provide for our children, and how we're preparing them or not preparing them to become responsible stewards of this world. We must grow as human beings. We must become our best selves. If we are to leave this world in a state of prosperity as a place where our children can grow healthy and strong, with the will and wisdom, to impart that same gift to their own posterity. That, that Derek, that that is so profound. And 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 as I mentioned earlier, you are a man of many talents, and you're very uh, motivational. And I'm motivated, inspired, and energized, as I said in my promo, uh, just having this conversation to with you. Uh, but, but but that was that was something that that stuck out for me because it it, it uh, went to one of the. Uh, uh, largest roles that you have um, in life and, and that I share, and that's as a father. So that really stuck out for me. Uh, what's, which one of your book, of your pens and your writings, which one is your favorite? What, what really resonates with you? Well, well, you know, Dave, that's that's a challenge, you know, <laughs> and I knew you were going to ask that, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Um, I want to be honest. 
I don't think I have one, you know. And it's funny because you read that piece, you know, you said it and you laid it out, and I leaned back and I go, I wrote that. I, I did that, <laughs> you know, but I did. And, and I, I, you know, I pour, I pour my passion into that stuff, right? You know, I really feel good about it when I put it down. So every time I go back and read something, like, you know, uh, the Critical Success book or the the Majority Parent or Majority Child book or Why I Voted for President Barack Hussein Obama II, I go back and I look at particular passages and they all resonate with me. And I think, for me personally, if I'm going to continue to write, I have to treat every book that I write as if it's the one that I love the best. So even though I put them behind me and I'm done, they're all my favorites. The one of the ones that I'm most proud of is Letters to My Mother, and that was my gift to her on the on her 70th birthday. And, you know, that was just a, a remembrance of our life together as a family and what I believe the power of family really represents. And I just, I love that one. But then, you know, I would say off the cuff, that's my favorite. But then you read something like that out of the majority parent, and, you know, I'm like, well, I, 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 did I write that? <laughs> I love that too, you know. So it's not that any one of them is my favorite. I just got to be honest. I love them all. And I'm continue to write with that presence of mind that the one that I'm working on right now is my favorite until I get to the next one. Understood, understood. That makes perfect sense. Uh, it, it, I, I really struggled with finding something in here uh, to pick out uh, uh, because everything everything resonated with me. And it, it's almost like having a, a, a Bible beside your bed that you need uh, to go to every now and then to find inspiration and a little guidance. I could pick up uh, 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 this article here and just – close my eyes and put my finger down and, and find something that motivates me. So, so um, thank you for sharing that with us. It's, uh, it's really pro, uh, powerful and profound, and um, I, I must tell everyone, uh, you you got to go out there, visit his website at um, tworulesof3.com and pick up his book there. Um, you got to have it. It's, it's something that uh, you got to have to uh, motivate yourself and motivate those that you come in contact with. Thanks for those, Terry. Absolutely. And I got to say thank you, Dave. You, you you mentioned the word Bible. Man, you put me in some August company. I'm like, I'm like wow, that almost scared me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, 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 okay, so, so let that be a challenge for you, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I, I, I want to shift a little bit here um, and, and, and talk about you a little bit. Uh, you're a recent winner of the uh, Toastmasters contest. Um uh, what what's the next level of competition there? Well, um, in a week, yes, yeah, one week, I was the uh, well. Let's just go back context. I was the winner of the table topics contest for my area competition in Toastmasters, and really, what that amounts to is, if to answer a question, you have to give a two minute exposition of your answer to that question, and it's off the cuff. You have to collect your thoughts. You have to say something that's meaningful and motivating and, you know, that injects them, injects your words into the crowd so that they feel inclined to vote for you and make you a winner. And I did that in the last competition, and I will be moving on to the next level, which will be the uh, area competition. Uh, it's a regional area, I forget. But it's the next level in the competition, and I'll be competing next Saturday, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, it's fun. You know, I love speaking. Um, Toastmasters gives you an opportunity to practice. 
and compete against like-minded individuals who all love to stand up in front of crowds or, at the very least, they're challenging themselves in order to grow. And we compete against each other to see who can carry the day. So that's, that's pretty much it. Well, well, that's great, and uh, uh, congratulations on your award. Um, other than those things that you just mentioned, um, how, else, how else has uh, Toastmasters helped you? I think Toastmasters has really benefited me. I'm a member. I've been a member for just about a year and a half now, and you know, I joined the local club at my job, and a lot of people there said, you know, clearly this isn't your first time in front of people speaking, so. Why are you here? And that's a good question. So I always like when people ask, I, I relay the truth. Again, it's about good practice, and it's about good and proper feedback. You know, no matter how good you are at something, practice makes perfect. Even if you have an innate talent, you need to take the time to hone it. And if you don't do it, the skill will start to atrophy, and you won't be as good. So every time I've gotten in front of my friends at Toastmasters, they've given me good, meaningful feedback. You know, they pat me on the back and tell me, you know, you did a good job, but they are also very honest. And they said things like, you talk too fast. You need to slow it down. I didn't understand what you were saying. You talked over my head. Give us additional details about this aspect so that we really understand what you're talking about. That's the main thing. Toastmasters, to me, and this is what I'm getting out of it, it's about personal growth. It's about engaging my club members so that they can see what I have to offer and then getting that feedback from them and thereby growing my skill set to a higher level. That's what it's all about. That's why I'm in it. Well, Toastmasters has, has, has done a lot, um, has benefited of having you a part of that association. So um, they are really um, – they're really fortunate to have you associated with them. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I hope they feel the same. So, 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 Derek, you're uh, about your affiliation with the Atlanta BDPA chapter. Um, where do you see uh, Atlanta BDPA chapter going in the next year? Okay. So, in the current year, I'm a vice president of business management. And I'm taking my cues from the current president, who's Felicia Jones, and she has charted a course for us this year that pretty much builds on the foundation we created last year. We've got a stellar event coming up in a month, which is our boot camp, and this IT professional development boot camp is pretty much geared around many of the things I just mentioned with regards to the job market, critical thinking, branding yourself, IT in particular, how to become the professional necessary to not only secure a job, but get promoted in the job you're in, trying to get yourself to the next level. We want to make events like this signature events for the Atlanta BDPA chapter. And this summer, you know, we'll be uh, having our minority IT forum, which puts CIOs from various companies on a panel in front of a, a crowd of people so that we can answer critical questions around the challenges that we face in the IT field. We Felicia started that last year. We're going to continue that this year. And then, of course, we have, you know, our spring mixers, our summer mixer, our regular gatherings, and our community service projects. I see us continuing down that line in 2013, and when I become president in 2014, I want to make sure that I'm still building on that critical foundation with a couple of additive measures to put in so that we can continue to learn, grow, and achieve, which is the theme that we're trying to 
build upon. You know, the motto of BDPA is from the classroom all the way to the boardroom, and we essentially do that at the high school level with the high school computer competition, our sites program, where kids get engaged in learning all about IT and they compete at the national level. At the end of the year, we actually won that last year, and that was all part of our YOA initiative, which is the year of Atlanta. Hopefully we're going to do that again, and I have, I have every confidence that we will. And, of course, when I become president, we're going to continue along those lines, and we plan on taking the award again. So I, I see that vision, and, and just, to, just to summarize it, I see it as an arc, right? The, the vision started with what Felicia put in place last year. We're arcing and growing this year. My goal will be to continue to build upon that and just take it to the next level. Well, well, as as long as I've uh, been uh, affiliated and, and, and known you and Felicia and Jacqueline as far as the Atlanta BDPA chapter is concerned, um, I've, I've been both inspired and, and, and proud to see our people uh, excel and give back in this way. It's a great organization. And everyone, in case you don't know, that's Atlanta BDPA. That's Baker Delta Papa Alpha, AtlantaBDPA.com. And... Um, um, they're a great organization. .org, Dave. Let's correct it. Make sure they go to the right one, AtlantaBDPA.org. You folks go out there, check us out, check out the events. We're bringing big stuff to the ATL. I, I stand corrected, Derek. Thank you very much. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about about your day job, if we will. Sure. Um, on on top of speaking and 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 writing, both of which you do very well. Uh, you you found you, you you and and you've done that very well and and we all appreciate uh, your offerings there. You're also a manager at Macy's. What's what's the key to managing in IT? Well, in my mind, and I think everyone is they have their opinions, their perspective, and you know they're entitled to it. But from my perspective, it's all tied, it's all linked to everything I just spoke about. And I mean that sincerely. My perspective on management is the effective utilization of critical thinking skills. You have to be able to think critically in order to resolve problems. And I do it every single day on my job. I think that the thing that's made me successful is utilizing 3FE on the job. And it's kind of funny. I break down all the problems. I do a little 3FE exercise in my head. And I've shared some of that with my associates. You know, I let them know if you see me use certain watchwords, you know that I'm finding, I'm focusing. I'm establishing a fundamental plan. I'm going to execute on it. And that is how we solve problems. From a social relative standpoint, when you're challenged with conflict, I put 3FE right in the mindset, and I try to figure out what's going on so I can alleviate the conflict between people. Do the same activity. Take negative conflict, turn it positive. The really core fundamental aspect of successful management is competent communication and leadership. If you can't do that, you can't manage an IT team. In fact, communication and leadership is so essential that you could be an effective IT manager and not know a thing about IT. A lot of people don't like to hear that, and a lot of people like to believe that that's false. It's not. It, it, it really It's fundamentally true. You don't have to know a thing about IT to be a powerful IT manager. You, if you don't know it but you do these other things, what you are is a strong manager in general. And you pick up what you need to know because your associates trust you in order to resolve the conflicts that hamper their every day. And if they like you when you're doing it because you're being open and honest and you're telling the truth and you're communicating effectively, they won't lie to you. And 
fact, they'll tell you in somebody else's line, and they'll help you understand those technical aspects that you just don't get. That mm-hmm. is powerful, competent leadership, whether it's IT, whether it's manufacturing, whether it's construction, whether it's politics. If you do it that way, you become a good leader, you become a good manager. If you don't, well, then you become the opposite, which is bad. <laughs> 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 well, uh, 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 thanks for that vision, Derek. Uh, well, you, you you've been with Macy's quite a while, and you've been very successful there. So uh, I, I I applaud you for that. Um, as as a manager, what's uh, and and I hate to go on in negative, but I I feel that's just as important to everyone, our listeners, um, as well. What's your least favorite part about managing? The, my least favorite part about managing, let's see. Well, there, there's the obvious thing. You hate to get rid of people. You know, I, I don't like getting rid of people even when they're dead weight. You know, I know it's an activity that you have to do, and I definitely don't shy away from doing it. I get very methodical about it. But, it, you know, it gives you a bad feeling inside because you know you're taking away somebody's paycheck. I don't like that. Um, the other aspect of dealing with management that I – really loathe is the antagonism that other associates or leaders or peers may cause through negative antagonism or politics. Now, I've written a lot about politics. I've come to enjoy it to some degree, but I'm going to share this with you. When I first got into management, one of my mentors actually told me, he said, Derek, you definitely need to do this and get involved in the politics because you're good at it. I said, but I don't like it. He said, well, that's clear. I got that a long time ago just by talking to you. You're a positive kind of guy. But you know what? You better learn to like it because it's going to be fair. And if you don't like it, learn to deal with it, cope with it, because you're going to have to. That's the bottom line. You're going to have to. And if it, beyond getting rid of people, if there's one thing I don't like, it's that, that negativity and that, that political slant that people will put into play in order to achieve their own end. Everyone has an agenda. But, you know, we can talk a lot about teams and we can talk about good communication and good leadership, but still, in the midst of all that, you're going to encounter those people who only care about self, and they really are about their personal agenda. They're ambitious to a fault, and and what you don't want is for your foot or your neck to lie on that fault because when they get ambitious to a fault and they start to put politics in play, that puts your position in, in, in jeopardy. And, you know, they may succeed to your detriment. That kind of thing I don't like. I can't stand that. I can't, and you know what, I love all people, but, you know, I reserve a certain place for people that behave like that. And and it gets difficult, you know, because you still want everybody to be successful. But, you know, that's the kind of thing you got to deal with on, often, you know, sometimes depending upon the project and the people on a daily basis. You might have to come in and deal with that a-hole all the time, and that becomes a problem. Don't like that. Don't like that, Dave, at all. Absolutely, yes. Um, I, I think uh, in the, at the managerial level, as any as at any level, there are a lot of different people that you're going to come across, both positive and negative. And um, every everyone should have a little um, experience in uh, the psychology of managing people because you're going to run into all kinds of people every day. Absolutely, so, absolutely. We've been we've been talking with Derek Brown, uh, motivational speaker and author, uh, this past hour, and he's been sharing his insights on 
his experience in the IT industry, his affiliation with the Atlanta BDPA.org uh, affiliation, as as well as some of his uh, uh, books, his writings, uh, most most notably Critical Success, The Two Rules of Three. And um, as a matter of fact, that that is the website, tworulesof3.com. Uh, there's a lot of information there, a lot of uplifting uh, segments and passages that's sure to get you through um, any hardship or any difficulties you may be coming across. And um, I, I want to reach out and uh, thank you, Derek, for that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, upon that, that's going to end our uh, segment here, Derek, and um, I'd like to extend the invitation out to you anytime. Our door here at Cafe Expresso Technology Showcase is always open. I appreciate it. You know I'll definitely be taking you up on that, Dave. Thank you, Derek. So thanks, everyone, for tuning into Tech Expresso Cafe Radio's Technology Showcase. Check back frequently at technologyexpresso.com and here at blogtalkradio.com slash techexpressocafe for our next uh, broadcast. Visit us at uh, on Facebook and at Twitter. Visit our websites at technologyexpresso.com for our hash marks, technologyexpresso.com, uh, Twitter slash techinternship, as well as on Facebook, techinternship. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a good day.